Halloween nasty pasty listeners thank you for joining in on another of our mini-sodes these little segues into the history of horror that led to those staple genres which became vilified category by category in the wake of the video nasties in the same tradition these little extra mini-sodes cover black and white examples of film to reflect just how far back in time these genres we know and cherish were set up quite early in cinema history Today, we're dealing with Mario Bava's debut film, the darkly gothic, fairy tale esque Black Sunday. So we'll see one of the first Italian gothic efforts following on from the famous Universal Monsters efforts of years before. So let's get straight into it. In 17th century Moldavia, Princess Asa is condemned to death by her brother for being suspected as a satanic vampire. She is branded on her back, causing her to curse her brother and their family forever, just as she is killed by having a spiked mask driven into her brain. Two doctors, Andre and Thomas, are later on their way to a conference by carriage when one of their wheels snaps off. Waiting for their coachman to repair it, the pair wander nearby and stumble into a crypt. Finding Asa's tomb, Thomas explains that she's rumoured to have been a vampire and can return on a specific day known as Black Sunday, just before he's attacked by a large bat. Lashing out at it, he strikes a glass pane embedded into Asa's tomb while killing it. He lifts the death mask from Asa's head, revealing an almost intact face, which soon becomes blemished with some spots of Thomas's blood from a cut he's just received. Outside, the pair encounter a young lady who resembles Princess Asa, Katya, who currently resides in the nearby castle with her brother Constantine and their father Prince Vida. At the castle, Prince Vida confides to his servant Ivan that Black Sunday is today and begins to have paranoid delusions that signal impending danger. 
While Thomas and Andre relax at an inn in the town, Asa revives in her tomb and summons her long-dead accomplice, Javuto, to be resurrected too, causing him to rise from the grave and head for the castle. Prince Vida awakens to the sight of Javuto entering his bedroom, but repels him using a cross. Katya and Constantine send one of their servants, called Boris, to get one of the doctors from the inn. But when Thomas sees their coach arrive, it's Javuto instead who asks him to accompany him to the castle. When they do arrive, Javuto leads Thomas through the cellars and to Asa's tomb, where he's shocked to see her now alive, bursting out of her coffin. She begs him for a little more of his blood, promising him an eternal life. Thomas is entranced by her and complies, becoming her thrall. Heading to Prince Vida, Thomas persuades Katya and Constantine to leave him alone with the delirious prince, only for him to murder him in his bed. The next day, Andre realises that Thomas is missing and heads for the castle, only to hear of the prince's death and Thomas's disappearance. A girl called Sonia, who spotted Javuto meeting with Thomas the night prior, also discovers the corpse of Boris near the riverbed, going to the castle with her story. She points out the painting of Javuto as the man who drove the carriage, sending Katya into a panic and the family priest to declare that Black Sunday has indeed sprung its curse. Andre spies Thomas later that night, but loses him after the family dogs appear to have been attacked. As the priest and Andre explore the house further, Ivan is attacked and strangled to death by Javuto. Andre comes across Arsa's living body in the crypt and asks Constantine to safeguard Katya, only for him to be killed by Javuto, who lures him into a trap. Andre reaches the graveyard where Javuto was raised, and together with the priest, they discover an undead Thomas resting in a coffin, forcing the pair to kill him by driving a stake through his eye. At the castle, Katya discovers Ivan's body, and is shocked to find her father, Prince Vida, revived, causing her to faint. Javuto, however, appears and throws his undead body into the fireplace, preparing Katya's body for Asa's possession. Asa begins to get younger as she drains the life force from her descendant, whilst Javuto and Andre struggle just outside in the crypt. Just as Asa is about to drain the last bit of Katya's soul, she's repelled by the crucifix that she wears, just as Andre gets the upper hand and throws Javuto to his death into a pit. Going to rescue Katya, he embraces her and is about to stab Asa on the tombstone when he notices her crucifix around her neck. Andre realises that it's Katya on the tombstone and that he embraced Asa instead, suddenly noticing her rotten skeletal body underneath her cloak. The priest then arrives with a lynch mob of angry villagers who chase Asa and string her up on a makeshift bonfire and burn her at the stake, restoring Katya's life and soul. As she awakens from her slumber, Andre and her kiss. Good night, my lord. No, wait, Ivan. You've served in this house for many years, haven't you? I was born here, sir. Today's the Feast of St. George. You must know the legend of the curse that was placed on this castle. Two centuries ago today, two people were executed for practicing witchcraft. Princess Asa and her accomplished Prince Yavutich. And to their faces was nailed the mask of Satan. A hundred years later, again on St. George's Day, an earthquake destroyed only the ancient chapel. And the witch's tomb was found split open, as if Arza tried to break out to accomplish her revenge. In fact, that same night, Princess Masha died mysteriously. Masha was beautiful. The very image of Arza. She was just 21 that day. 
like Katya. And Katya's her living image. It's as if the witch tormented her victims with her own beauty before killing them. And it's this resemblance, this repeating of Oz's vengeance that terrorizes me. I'm afraid, Ivan. You mustn't be afraid, my lord. The cross will protect you. Even if what you said is true, these monsters are terrified by the sacred symbol of Christ. Always have it near you and you'll be safe. Yes, you're right, Ivan. It's the atmosphere surrounding this cursed day that has upset me so. Drink your toddy, sir, before it gets cold. It's a warning, even. I won't be afraid. They won't win. They cannot win against the symbol of Christ. Mario Bava's debut feature-length film is just as lavish and atmospheric as you'd expect, concerning the age-old story of a witch-slash-devil-slash-vampire who's executed for her evilness, but not before casting a centuries-wide curse, promising to return once more and wreak her vengeance on the offspring of those who persecuted her. The plot is really not so convoluted beyond that, with additional elements plucked from fairy tale logic and universal monster mythology. But first, let's find out how this film was made. During the 1950s, production company Galatea Films had a triple whammy of disasters which left them in dire circumstances. Their 1957 film, Evampery, was left in jeopardy when the director, Ricardo Frieda, walked off the set after just a few days of filming. Nearing a total cancellation of the project, young cinematographer Mario Bava offered to complete the film for them, which they were only too happy to accept. Evampery was released later that year, but Bava received no credit for this particular rescue. Two years later, after Frieda had another tantrum in the middle of Kaltiki, the immortal monster, Bava stepped in once more to save the film from falling into limbo, and once again received no credit for this. Another production in the same year, The Giant of Marathon, also became threatened when director Jacques Tourneur left the set before any major scenes had been shot. Barva was working as a cinematographer on that film, and again offered his help to salvage the production. With three successful rescue attempts without any credit given, Galatea Films offered Barva an official chance in the director's seat with any script he wanted to do. As a show of gratitude for his efforts, they even extended the shooting schedule from four weeks to an almost unheard of six weeks. Barber chose the Nikolai Gogol story from 1835, Vi, to base his script on, both being a fan of Russian horror literature and having fond memories of reading that particular story to his children to scare them. Wanting to make something rather more tributary to the gothic films of the 1930s, however, Bava, together with the writers, only chose select elements of the story to keep, such as the setting of Moldavia and a plot point of a witch returning to life. The rest of the story was filled in with traditional gothic horror tropes and variations on established universal monster rules. For example, despite the character of Asa being described as a vampire, She doesn't have any fangs, and she doesn't drain any blood from her victims either, merely their life force, and that's through touch. Another trope which is refreshed is the way to kill those who are vampiric, which is a stake through the eyes rather than the heart. Elements which are kept are the idea of the cross repelling them, and the power of enthrallment that they have over humans. 
There were some differences as well between the original Italian and the English version, namely the nature of Asa's and Javuto's relationship. In the English version, they're simply master and slave, whilst in the Italian, they are brother and sister, adding an incestuous undertone to the proceedings. How Italian? Production started on the film at the end of March at 1960 at Scalera Film Studios, with other scenes filmed at a rental castle in the town of Arsoli. Principal photography wrapped at the beginning of May, but it was not all smooth sailing. Despite starting the shoot, Barva didn't actually have an entire script, instead handing pages to the actors on every morning of production, which led to some confusion, especially from actress Barbara Steele. Both Javuto and Asa too were originally meant to have fangs, but upon looking at the dailies, Barva deemed them too unconvincing and had the actors remove them. Despite some inconsistencies, like Boris actually having puncture marks on his neck despite the vampires not displaying that tendency anywhere else, Black Sunday is rather a tight, effective and traditional horror film of the 60s. With the Hammer horror films establishing a lucrative and entertaining model in the 50s, Barva's film feels very similar and it rides the coattails of those films somewhat, with its decidedly atmospheric, stylistic approach to dark subject matter. The characters feel very similar, and the music too creates the illusion perfectly, especially in the US version, which has much more of a generic 50s-style horror soundtrack. Where it differs from Hammer's efforts, though, is rather more interesting, and it's so quintessentially Italian. The first is actually the gore, which is rather graphic for a movie from 1960. I mean, you get a spiked mask being hammered into someone's face, an eyeball being bloodily pierced with a stake, and a face being set on fire. By today's standards, they're not that gruesome, but it still feels a little disjointed to see that level in such an early film. Another element which is noticeable is the fairy tale approach to the plot and the composition of images that we see. Certain sequences, like Katja being introduced to Andre and Thomas, and the arrival of Javuto via coach, are incredibly composed on screen by Barva. Still images of these scenes could literally have been ripped from a Disney film, with the high contrasts of light and shadow, the poses of the actors, and the hugely detailed background. In fact, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is particularly channeled in this film. Not only do you have the stepmother-slash-princess vibe between Katya and Asa, but the objective is similar too. Asa wants to steal Katya's youth and beauty in order to live forever, and her assistant Javuto is rather like the Snow White Queen's huntsman, who actually tries to follow through with her plan, unlike the Disney movie counterpart. So too is Asa's dialogue at the end, which indicates that Andre's love for Katya could have saved her, which is about as fairy tale as you can get. Similarly, the beginning and the end of the film have Snow White elements too. The comic relief coach driver at the beginning stops the carriage due to thinking that a tree is reaching out and attacking him, referencing the Disney film where Snow White is attacked by malevolent trees, while Asa's demise at the conclusion of the film is through the villagers chasing her and burning her at the stake, mirroring the dwarves in Disney's film who chase the Wicked Queen to the cliffs where she falls to her death. This is where I out myself, though, as not much of a fan of Hammer Horror at all. Despite me liking most things, Hammer Horror is just not something I'm into, sadly, so I found Black Sunday sometimes to be a bit of hard work, as I can see so much of the Hammer influence. That's not to say I didn't like it completely, as there were elements that I enjoyed, but overall it turned out to be a bit of a mixed bag for me. The gore was entertaining and the cinematography was at times breathtaking, especially because it lacked that element of colour. 
The characters were quite campy and traditional. The castle location was amazing for its gothic architecture and the interior design. And the atmosphere too was thick enough to cleave with the knife. It's a good professional first outing for Barber, and it certainly showcases the skill at which he would handle his later projects, but it just wasn't my cup of tea. Its influence certainly can't be denied, however. After Mussolini's fascistic suppression of Italian horror was ended, this was one of those few films that kick-started the whole genre's popularity in Italy again, and it continues to influence modern directors, like Tim Burton, who claims that this is his favourite film, and also Richard Donner, who based the cemetery scene in 1976's The Omen on Katia's first appearance to Thomas and Andre. Birkenhead-born actress Barbara Steele played the main role of Katya and Princess Asa, and she swiftly became a cult name as a screen queen slash sultry seductress of obscure, soon-to-be-recognised classic horrors in America, Canada, and through Europe. Barbara's Black Sunday was one of her first forays into the genre at the young age of 23, but she soon shot into stardom with appearances in The Pit and the Pendulum, The Terror of Dr. Hitchcock, and Castle of Blood. She then soon went on to appear in the campy women in prison film Caged Heat, David Cronenberg's debut film Shivers, the Joe Dante fun Jaws ripoff Piranha, and also the proto-slasher Silent Scream. Barva chose Steele from some photographs, and the pair found each other rather difficult to work with. Barva remembers that she was irrationally suspicious of Italians, especially after a jokey rumour went around that Barva used a special type of film to make people appear nude. Steele herself remembers that she was quite difficult due to being rather young, naive and unable to understand the Italian language, which only frustrated her further when she found her fangs, wig and body double very irritating. She reportedly got drunk a few times to handle the situation, but she still remembers the experience as mainly herself being difficult to be around. Andre was played by someone quite familiar, British actor John Richardson, whom we've seen previously, as he was the killer in Sergio Martino's Torso. Everyone else in the film, though, was almost exclusively Italian, who'd reappear in some form in some of Barva's work, or other productions in both film and television. Director Mario Barva doesn't really need an introduction, not just because he's rather well-known in Italian films, but because we've already spoken about him several times when we covered Blood and Black Lace and The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Barva also wrote the film, assisted by Onio De Concini, who also wrote the aforementioned Girl Who Knew Too Much, as well as Salon Kitty, both of which we've covered previously. Mario Sarandre also helped write, and he was the editor of the film too. He'd returned for Barva's Black Sabbath and Blood and Black Lace, as well as Castle of the Living Dead and The Long Hair of Death. Another guy involved in the writing was Marcello Coscia, who'd worked later on the video nasty Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue, as well as the giallo film Rings of Fear. Producer Massimo Dorita was mostly known as a writer who worked on Poliziotesky films like The Big Racket, but he also produced Barber's first giallo film, The, G- the Girl Who Knew Too Much. One of the producers as well was Samuel Z. Arkoff, who used to be a lawyer before he started producing movies. With such titles as The Girl Who Knew Too Much, Black Sabbath, Witchfinder General, The Dunwich Horror, Whoever Slew Auntie Rue, Blackula, Coffee, and too many others to mention, really. Fellow producer James H. Nicholson also worked on most of his co-producers' films, as well as 1972's Frogs. The music was done by two different people, depending on which version that you watch. 
The original Italian version was scored by Roberto Nicolosi, who'd reappear on Barva's Black Sabbath. The US version, though, was scored by Les Baxter, who often scored international films for the US audience, such as The Girl Who Knew Too Much, Goliath and the Vampires, and Black Sabbath as well. The special effects and props were done by none other than Barva's father, Eugenio, who used to make artefacts for churches and would return for his son's later film, Black Sabbath. The film was released in August of 1960 in Italy and was subsequently exported to the US and other international countries the following year. For the US version, which was apparently bought for more than the film's budget, certain scenes were trimmed and the dialogue was edited to make the film a little more palatable to the Americans. Most of the violence was reduced, Asa's and Javuto's relationship was changed from brother and sister, and some of the lines as well were toned down in harshness. The music score by Roberto Nicolosi was replaced by a more generic Les Baxter composition, and the film's English dub was re-recorded to sound less stilted and more natural. Disliking the original title, La Machera del Demonio, the demon mask in English, the Americans toyed with witchcraft, the curse and the house of fright before finally settling on Black Sunday. The film's American premiere was actually a double bill alongside The Little Shop of Horrors by Roger Corman. In the UK, however, the Italian-English dubbed version under the title The Mask of Satan was rejected by the BBFC for cinema exhibition due to the violent scenes. And due to the residual bad feeling, the film remained unreleased until 1968 when it was resubmitted under the title Revenge of the Vampire, where it received cuts to all the scenes of violence before it was passed. It was around during the video Nasties too, being released on VHS by Vampix in 1982, presumably in uncut form. Despite the film being in black and white and rather mild in content, this wouldn't have protected it completely. Romero's Night of the Living Dead had these, f- these two elements and it still found itself listed as a Section 3 video nasty. Vampix 2 were already in trouble for releasing some of the prosecutable titles, like The Beyond and House by the Cemetery, so the police would not really have looked favourably upon the rest of their catalogue. The fact that it was also the uncut version, rather than the BBFC-sanctioned ex-certificate cut, would also have caused major issues, but I can't find any recorded seizures of the film. Regardless, it was legitimately released uncut in 1992, more than 30 years after its original release by Redemption on VHS. Every release since, though, has been uncut, notably with a Blu-ray restoration of both cuts, the Italian and the US version from Arrow Video, so collectors can find lots to be excited about. Well, that's it for this special Halloween mini-sode, but you can catch our other one today about the rather polarising Halloween 3 season of The Witch. 
As usual, our normal weekly podcast will be out this Friday as well, covering slashes with a twist. So I'll be talking about Sleepaway Camp and April Fool's Day. Don't miss it, but until then, speak to you next time, peeps. Goodbye. Goodbye.